So when I was a kid, I had an awesome opportunity to actually go and watch Back to the Future, the original, uh, the original movie in the theaters. And I can remember sitting there all excited. Oh, we're going to see Back to the Future. And I was sitting with my family. We got through the whole thing where, you know, all the craziness happens and Doc's yelling, great Scott Marty, all that fun stuff. And then the end rolls and he's like, Rhodes? Where we're going, we don't need any roads. And I was like, yes, what's going to happen next? And they lift off and boom, they zoom off and these words flop up and it says, to be continued. I thought that was epic. I was like, oh, to be continued. I was so excited and then sorely disappointed when I found out they weren't going to continue this thing for like five years from then. And it was like odd because the distance between the next movie and that one was to me so long in my mind. I was confused, like what is happening? It was like a bad ending. The movie was so great and then it just doesn't go anywhere to be continued? When, where? And I think that's interesting because we as humans, we like endings. We want things to be wrapped up. We don't wanna just be told, hey, this is gonna happen. Hold on, we'll get there eventually. In fact, I knew students, when they were reading the Harry Potter series, were worried Jesus was going to come back before they got to get to the ending. Because we like endings. We want to see how the villain gets destroyed. We want to see how everything gets wrapped up. We want to know what's going to happen next. And so it's odd when we get to the ending of the book of Acts. Dr. Luke, who is laying out this history, these first many years of the church, these 30 years of the church, winds up coming to a conclusion. And in his concluding statement, he states simply this, talking about Paul, the apostle, he says, he lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. And then you turn the page and the book of Romans, what in the world is happening here? Like, how, how do you end with this? Uh, what, what about Paul? Did, did, he, did he get beheaded? Did he get out of jail? I mean, where'd Peter go? He just vanished in the story. What, what about John? He, he's still there, right? What, or how about all the other apostles? Or, you know, Philip, he just disappeared. What, what's going on? Help me. I don't like this ending. What's going on? In fact, many scholars have looked at this, and many people have looked at this throughout the centuries and wondered, what in the world was Dr. Luke doing? Did he run out of scroll? He's just like, Okay, done. Or was this where he was in history? Did he stop because Paul was still in house arrest and he didn't know where it was going to go from there? There's another answer. And it's a little bit more interesting and I believe a little bit closer to possibly what Paul was doing. And regardless, or Luke was doing, regardless of whether Luke intended this or not, it has been the predominant way to view this ending of the book of Acts. Because we all know this isn't the end of the gospel adventure. This isn't the end of the story that goes on. In fact, the, the heroes in the book of Acts keep going. Paul does actually get uh, likely out of his situation. He isn't beheaded. He's set free. He manages to find his way to Spain. And many churches in Spain claim that they have come from Paul's preaching. In fact, he would only be arrested later after being known for preaching the gospel under Nero to be beheaded. Peter would end up in Rome preaching the gospel as well and stir up so many things under Nero. He would be crucified upside down. And so the legends of the apostles as they spread out from down into Africa, out into India, and all over up even into uh, southern Europe, and some are even imagined people going up into England area, that gospel being spread all over the place by the apostles, each of them coming to an end, each of them coming to a death, with the exception of John, who died in Ephesus of old age after having his own torture and exile. 
But the story didn't stop there. Their disciples continued the gospel forward, and the church continued that gospel forward for now 1,900 years. It would spread south into Africa, into sub-Saharan Africa. It would spread off to the east and down the Silk Road into China, spreading from, to northern India all the way through that area. It would spread up to the edges of the Roman Empire, to the barbarian tribes, eventually breaking through those barbarian tribes and across North Africa. Eventually, the rise of Islam would begin to shrink again and things would begin to pull back. And as Genghis Khan came in, he would shrink the gospel even further. But it began to grow throughout Europe and began to grow into the Russian territories and on until finally as the sea voyages of the Europeans began the gospel spread from shore to shore to shore on those same ships eventually spreading into the Southeast Asia, into all of the islands of the Pacific, this North and Southern continents, until the great missionary movements that happened in England and North America spread the gospel to the interior of South America, Africa, and also back out into Asia. But I'd love to tell you that the gospel finished. It went to every single nation. It's got into every single location, but it hasn't. It's been 1,900 years, and that gospel movement is still going. It's still happening. It's in a sense that what Luke said at the end is still going on. It's sort of like the end of that Back to the Future movie. It's to be continued. It's still continuing on today. In fact, I want to put it this way for all of us who have been working through the book of Acts together, who have been doing this here at Olive Branch, and that is this. That the gospel has come to you that it would go through you. The gospel hasn't come to you so you can simply be saved. The gospel hasn't come to you to rest with you, to stay with you. It's come to you to go through you. And I know the objection. And it's an objection that's actually been held in church history for a long time. Isn't the gospel for the apostles? I mean, isn't the gospel for these big names in history? I mean, these are the guys who spread the gospel because Jesus taught them and told them. Isn't the gospel for the disciples of the apostles themselves? I mean, isn't it supposed to be for Polycarp? Isn't it supposed to be for the, the big names of history? Like St. Patrick, or maybe it's Clement, or Augustine, or maybe it was Anselm. Uh, you know, I know it's, it's supposed to be for, for the church, uh, like Luther and, and Calvin and, and Zwingli, or, or maybe it's for an our time period with Jonathan Edwards, or, or maybe it's now, you know, for the missionaries that are abroad. You know, it's, it's the big names, those guys who make big waves. That, that's who the gospel is for, right? I want to warn us. I believe the gospel has come to you, that it would go through you. But the danger is, and the warning is, that we need to be aware of reading our Bibles as a history of celebrities. We need to be aware of, of reading this text as if it's laying out the history of the celebrities of the saints, you know, the super saints of the faith kind of stuff. And the bottom line is that the reason that is dangerous is that we can begin to think that God only uses the super saints, that God only uses the celebrities. That in Acts, we can get overly fixated on Peter and John and Paul and, and Silas and Luke and all these guys. And we can think that these are the super anointed. And while they are the founders of our faith, and we would consider them the fathers of the faith, they're the apostles indeed that Jesus trained and used to set up the faith and give us the scriptures. They, 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 they aren't supposed to be the ones only doing the work. In fact, today we fall into similar dangers. I mean, the Catholic Church turned these people into literally saints, and nobody else could be a saint. The Protestant Church kind of fought against that, but now we've come back to a celebrity culture. 
where we celebritized all kinds of pastors like, man, Tim Keller, he's the man, or Greg Laurie, dude, he saves all kinds of people. He's the new Billy Graham. Tony Evans, dude, he teaches stuff, and he helps people really understand the Scripture. Oh, John MacArthur, he's a solid Bible teacher. Oh, he, he's going to be the one that helps people out. Matt Chandler, dude's got huge churches, and so does Greg Crochelle, all these guys. Super famous names in the Christian world. Super famous pastors who preach the gospel or evangelists that, that make big moves and differences. And we can begin to believe that these super saints are the ones that we really should be following. You know, yeah, we've got our pastors. We can go listen to these super saints. They really know the Bible. They really teach us stuff. And the danger is that this celebrity mentality, Paul pushed back on pretty early. In fact, in the book of Corinthians, uh, 1 Corinthians, we can read this, that um, Paul was a little concerned about how they were fixating on uh, particular teachers that had rolled through. In fact, it says, um, he says in it, some have been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. What I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. They had picked out their favorite teachers. They had picked out their celebrities. They were ready to go after them. They were dividing the church over it. And while we're not necessarily doing that, the danger in our time, when we begin to, to look at celebrity pastors and celebrity missionaries and celebrities in general, is we begin to think they have a greater influence. They have a greater ability with the gospel. Like, man, Kanye, he came to Christ. He's going to have a greater influence to lead more people to Jesus than I ever will. That may be true. It might not be true. You know, Justin Bieber, he can really do it. Or Chris Pratt, man, they, they've got the opportunity to really preach the gospel. Here's the thing. There are always going to be celebrities, but our danger is to give them the gospel adventure and think that we're not a part. That somehow what we have is a gospel that's come to us to save us, but not to go through us to someone else. That it's our job to just kind of see the celebrities and celebrate what they have done and not realize that Jesus gave the gospel to all of us. See, actually in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, we read this. He tells those people, hey guys, the Holy, you're going to receive power and the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And we know that the apostles are in this scene. He's talking to them, but we know also, as referenced by Paul, as referenced by Matthew, is that at this time when Jesus ascends in heaven, there are well over 500 other disciples that are standing there. Was this mission not given to them as well? Was this mission not given to the unnamed people in the Bible? See, the book of Acts just doesn't focus only on these super saints. It doesn't focus in on the celebrities. In fact, the focus of the book of Acts is the work of God through the gospel. If there's any celebrity in the Bible, it's God. And what we see here is that he uses different men, but he uses all of his church. And there are a lot of unnamed saints throughout these scriptures. In fact, we see it right at the beginning at Pentecost. So Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 5 through 11, says, Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and were bewildered because each one was hearing them speaking his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language, Parthians and Medes, Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya, belonging to Cyrene, to visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. 
Now, right here, we just have Cretans and Arabians and Jews and proselytes and all these different people. I mean, stop and think about this. They're talking, and Luke is not, like, actually recording people going like, Oh, yeah, uh, the Cretans, we're here. Yep. Oh, any any Elamites? Yeah. Well, right here, Elamites. Okay, write down Elamites. Phrygians, any Phrygians around? Yep, yep. Any Pamphylians? Whoa, we got this. You know, it's like this weird roll call. What in the world is happening in this text except that God is preaching to the people of the nations, the nations that he wants the gospel to go to so he can overcome the 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 gods that have controlled these places and been given to these so that he can proclaim his kingdom in these areas through these Jewish men and women who are going to go home to these areas. We don't have their names. We know where they're from, but we don't have their names. In fact, we know that 3,000 of them, it says, would come to faith. It says, so those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls from all these different places. And they wouldn't just take off. They, would, they were discipled. They were trained. We know that the, they hung out in Solomon's portico, and the apostles taught them in the homes and in this location all about the word of God and Jesus. And they were dedicated to one another and devoted to learning these things. And then a persecution hits because of Stephen and Saul ravages the church, it says. It says Saul you know, approved of his ex execution. And there arose that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they, this church in Jerusalem, all these 3,000 plus people that are saved from all these locations, were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea, Samaria, except the apostles. Hey, no super saints going out from here. They spread the gospel out there. They began, these unnamed people from all these locations began to go home. They began to go in all these locations, scattering the message. In fact, it will go on in chapter 11 to say, those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch. That's up in the north, out in the ocean, or out in the Mediterranean Sea anyway, and all these different locations, speaking the word to no one but Jews, but there were some of them of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. Unnamed people start a church in Antioch that will end up bringing and sending Paul, bringing and sending in Barnabas. These men were unnamed. We don't know who started the church of Antioch. They were unnamed, ordinary people, not super saints. They were leading. See, we, we don't understand that in a world of celebrity where everything wants us to focus on the celebrities, that God is not just simply using the celebrity. God uses the ordinary for the extraordinary. And if we don't see that in the text, we're going uh, to be dazed and confused about all the celebrities and the super saints that we think are found in this text. And we forget that God uses the ordinary, the me and the you, the unnamed in this world, who will be forgotten when time goes on. But when we are faithful, He does extraordinary things in our lives. Ordinary people throughout history have made the biggest impacts. They made the biggest move with the gospel. They're not the St. Augustines who wrote the books. They were the guys who were selling their wares on the streets and sharing about Jesus and their thoughts from what they were learning. They were the, the ones who were going to the wash rooms and scrubbing and talking with the other women, and they were discussing Jesus and what it meant and, and what the church and what was going on. See, it was Augustine's mom who, who in her prayers actually led him to Christ and became somebody who made an impact in a different way. It was in the streets of all these locations that uh, across the world the message has spread the furthest, not, not from the pastors and the pulpits, from the faithful, ordinary, everyday people who are bringing the message wherever they go. It's in the book of Acts. It is throughout our church history. 
But I get it today, man, we want to be extraordinary. I want to be extraordinary. I know what that feeling is like. I grew up wanting to be extraordinary. I don't know what kid didn't really. There are lots I know who don't, but look, in a sense, I, I wanted to be extraordinary. I want to be the youngest author ever, right? I want to write a famous piece of music. I, I, wanted to, I wanted to be able to engage in, in the ministry and I wanted to be a big pastor and I thought God was telling me that I was gonna be all this stuff, right? I wanted to be an impact, I wanted to be an influence, I wanted to be this, I wanted to be that. Look, we all want to be big in, in certain ways. And in our culture right now, in the world that we've grown up, um, we may actually begin to believe this concept. It's written in a book by, by an anonymous author. And he was challenging us that many people today feel that to live and die unnoticed is a grave injustice. That somehow if I was to live and to die and never be noticed and never have my 10 minutes of fame, never be taken, that would be a grave, grave injustice. I should have my time. I should be known. And our social media culture and everything starts to prop that up. You need more likes. You need to be known more. You got to have more friends. You got to have more influence. Man, you're going to be an influencer. You got to be famous. You got to have people like your stuff, know your stuff. And that is cutting directly against so much of the scriptural teachings. And so it's hard to hear this, even for my own heart, but what God loves to use is actually just the ordinary because the gospel is not about the extraordinary people. It's about the ordinary people. The gospels come to you to go through you to who you're around. And what the Bible actually begins to call us to is interesting. We're called to quiet lives. We're called not to loud and boisterous check me out lives, but quiet lives. Now, Mr. Paul, who we think of as a celebrity, who wasn't actually well known in this time period, if it hadn't been for the Bible, we probably wouldn't have heard of him, right? He's writing to one of his churches in Thessalonica, and he says this, but we urge you brothers to do this more and more, to do what more and more? To actually love the brethren, have a job, make money, give and help other people out so they can get jobs and make money and help people. You know, that was, he's saying, do that more and more. And then he says this, and to, spot, and to aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs and to work with your hands, as we instructed you, so that you may walk properly before outsiders and dependent on no one. There's two things that are conclusion here. He's saying, guys, I want you to aspire to live a quiet life so that you can walk properly before outsiders. So outsiders will see you and you will be walking properly. They'll see you as a responsible human being who's doing their job, who's doing well, who's doing these things. You're not dependent on anybody. You're not needing anybody, but you're helping each other out. The church isn't dependent on, on anybody but each other. And suddenly now we're walking right in front of people. Something changes. And this all happens, he says, by having a quiet life, living quietly. And we're supposed to aspire to this. Not, not just, you know, go, oh, this is my lot in life, to be a quiet life, and I want to aspire for being great. No, he says aspire for the quiet life. Aspire to, to live quietly, keeping your own affairs in your own hands, not worrying about all everybody else's junk and everybody else's garbage and everybody else's tweets and everybody else's posts and everybody else's statements. What are, what are they doing with their lawn in my house? And what are they doing over there? No, just, just, just take care of your own stuff. Just live quietly. You don't need to be yelling and shouting and doing all that. No, just live quietly. So it says, aspire to that quiet life. Mind your own affairs. Work with your hands. Do it well. And to live quietly enables you to make a big influence. There are some of you, you're going every single day to your work and 
you're working hard even at home on your computers or whatever it is and what you get an opportunity to do is to do a job well done and to do it in such a way that people look at you and admire your hard work that they admire your behavior they admire how you dealt with this covid situation they admire how you dealt with with other people who are who are freaked out and, and angry at you or they admire how you were engaged in this world they saw how you sailed through they saw how you stepped up you just lived quietly you didn't have to talk about it you didn't have to boast about it you didn't have to do anything but you just did your work you did it hard you did it well and then you got to know people, you cared about them, you loved them, you shared with them, and you came to the opportunities to share Christ. I personally know a fireman who goes every day and he has conversations with his, with his teams and people who come through taking up other people's jobs and stuff, and he just aspires to do his job well and have a conversation here and a conversation there, and he's had opportunities to bring Christ to so many people. I know uh, school teachers who work their tails off day in and day out, doing as good as they can, being the best teachers that they can, building friendships with the people around them, sharing Christ with them. And people have come to Christ and the gospel has spread. That can happen in your police station. That can happen if you find yourself working at a Starbucks. That can happen whether you're working at the docks. That can happen no matter where you are. The ordinary life is the way the gospel spreads the best because you're around Ordinary people and the message is for ordinary people. If it's about extraordinary people, then only extraordinary people get to have it. But the Gospels come to you to go through you because you are that person that God loves to use. Because when ordinary is done well, it is extraordinary. Jesus put it this way. He says, you're the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket but a, on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So you live out a life and you want to shine your light. And that's not what he's saying. He says you live out a light of good works, of good works of caring for your neighbor, of caring for your, your, love, your, your loved one. Your, maybe it's a parent or maybe it's somebody who is, um, has, has a dangerous opportunity with COVID to die. And you're like, no, I'm going to care for them. And people see your care. They see your good works as you go out there to pull over and help somebody on the side of the road to fix their car. They see your good works as they notice that you're the one out there trying to clean up a, a restaurant that's been trashed by somebody else. And you don't have to. You're the one who's out there and you're trying to care for somebody because, hey, they're just, they look distraught that day and you're just willing to sit down and say, I don't know you, but you seem upset. Can I help you somewhat? You know, we are willing to put our risk, our reputations, to risk our time, to, to just take aside and go connect with people. Those are just the ordinary, everyday things that we can do that begins to change people, that begins to open the door for the gospel, that enables us to begin to care and connect. It doesn't have to be the giant thing. It doesn't have to be the big crusade. It, do, it can simply be that you are willing to care and connect, and they see it, and you offer the gospel, and they glorify your Father who is in heaven. Quiet lives are confident lives, and they make a big noise in a world of insecurity. Our world wants everybody to look, 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 and we say, I'm good. And they go, why are you so good? And now you have an opportunity. It's fascinating when I talk to people and I describe what the life of a Christian who's engaged with his faith and is trying to live that just faithful life in Christ, they go, man, that's an awesome life. People who get to go and care for other people, maybe they go to hospitals and they visit them and pray over them. If they go to work and they come home, they give some of it and they're generous and they try to help people out where they can. 
And then they have the opportunity to sit in a Bible study and they talk about how they can know God better and live a better life to care for people better. They even get chances to go overseas to connect and not just go, you know, be part of the American tourism. They go to care for people. Man, when you share these stories with people, it blows people's minds. Who lives like this, they wonder? And it's us who are living an ordinary, quiet Christian life, which is actually in this world quite extraordinary. And so I don't want you to feel like when we look at the book of Acts, when we look through these things, that we've got to be these celebrities. No, no, no. We have a chance to actually let God put us in his story as he wants. In fact, James would tell us this way, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. It is God who lifts us up. It is God who puts us on his time and his way to use us. But we need to start with the humble. We need to start with the ordinary. See, Greg Laurie, he may be a famous name right now, but he tells the story of how he got started. He walked into Chuck Smith's office. He was all pumped up. He's like, I want to be in ministry. I want to do stuff. And Chuck's like, okay, here, there's a broom. Go sweep the parking lot. He's like, no, no, you don't understand. I want to preach the gospel. I want to be somebody who preaches. I want to be something this. Okay, here, go sweep the parking lot. You have to start at the humble spot, he realized. And so many times we may want to rush in here and say, this is what God gifted me for. I want to do this. And instead, what we really need to start with is, hi. Or, hey, I made this coffee. Or, I'm going to sweep the parking lot. Sometimes it's those ordinary starts that lead to the most extraordinary things because we were faithful to be humble before our God and let Him open the doors and take the opportunities when He opens them to step out and begin to move. You see, you, you may think missionaries aren't ordinary people. They are very ordinary people. They began back there somewhere just being faithful with the small things of serving in small places, discipling and growing. And one day God called them and said, hey, how about we go to another country? And they're like, let's do it. They sold things and they went. They may never be remembered. They may be forgotten. And some of you don't realize that you already are a missionary and you never had to sign up with the church. You know how many thousands of Christians are overseas in countries that need Jesus as businessmen and women and as visitors every single year? If we went there with the knowledge that God uses the ordinary businessman to reach a businessman, the ordinary visitor to reach some, somebody who's around them, suddenly what we have is an opportunity that whenever we go on a vacation or an exploration or we go on a business trip is the grand opportunity to spread the gospel. We just multiplied our missionary efforts a thousand times. But when we think that it's for the extraordinary and not for the ordinary, we miss out on major opportunities. The gospel has come to you to go through you, and you don't even know how that's going to make an impact. You see, there are some pretty famous people floating through the Bible, right? One of them is Apollos, right? Apollos comes into Corinth, or sorry, Ephesus, and he's preaching, he's, he's doing his whole thing, and, and up comes uh, Priscilla and Aquila, and they're like, hey, you don't got this right. Now, here's what's interesting. We know who Apollos is. We know who Priscilla and Aquila are. But who brought them to faith? Who showed Apollos the gospel? Who brought Priscilla and Aquila to faith so that they were discipled and trained and able to be equal with Paul? It wasn't an apostle. We don't know who it was. What we have is a beautiful reality that from ordinary people, God may save somebody who's extraordinary. They may be on your block. They may be in, down the cubicle from you. They may be online with you right now. And what's beautiful is that you need to open your eyes and have the opportunity that with the gospel coming to you to go through you to see where is it going. See, remember how Paul preached in Athens. He said 
And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth. Having determined allotted periods, that means when you live, and the boundaries, that's where you live, or their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him. He has chosen you for this time. He has put you where he wants you so that those around you may seek God and find him. Guys, what has happened is the gospel has come to you to go through you. And you don't have to be the extraordinary celebrity. We don't need to be the Pauls. We don't need to be the Apolloses. We don't need to be the Peters. We need to be the unnamed in the book of Acts who are so faithful that the gospel spread to Rome, the gospel spread to Antioch, the gospel spread beyond. It has spread to our nation and beyond by people we don't even know. But you know who does? Jesus. He is the one who looks over his church and says, well done, good and faithful servant. I kind of wonder if some of these men, people like me who gets a little bit more platform, haven't already received a lot of their reward. But it's people like those little grandmas and grandpas who pray for their grandchildren and bring them to faith that nobody ever knows about, nobody ever sees. It's those who go on that business trip and present the gospel and see it transform. A man in, in another country who's struggling with his alcohol that suddenly, boom, it's changed. It's that ordinary, everyday exchange of the gospel that reaps the greatest rewards. And I want to challenge us to consider these things. How can you continue forward? How can you be praying for God to reveal who it is that you need to share? And right now, I want to maybe challenge you to practice that simple task of taking three names and writing them down and saying, I'm going to pray faithfully for these three people. And I'm going to look for opportunities because I want to be one who spreads the gospel because it's come to us to go through us. So let's allow it to go through us. We don't have to be extraordinary to do that because the ordinary will produce that extraordinary. So let's get out there and do what Jesus simply called us to do. Let me pray. Father, I pray that as we close up this book of Acts, that you would enable us to be a people who let the gospel flow through us. That though we may feel ordinary, we may long to be extraordinary, but we feel ordinary and we are living quiet lives, that that would honor you because you bless it. And from there, that that message would spread because we're willing to just simply live out where you've put us and bring the gospel to those around us. Thank you for the opportunities you've given to us. Let us not squander them. Help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.